On August 15, 1971, U.S. President Richard Nixon ended the gold convertibility of the U.S. dollar and simultaneously ended the Bretton Woods system, which had governed international monetary policy since the end of the Second World War. The system which replaced Bretton Woods wasn't built on formal treaties and conferences. It was a highly informal system that, for the most part, still exists today. Learn more about the petrodollar system, how it came to be, and how it works on this episode of Everything Everywhere Daily. This episode is sponsored by ButcherBox. Summer is right around the corner, and that means cookouts. No matter what your preferred food is for a cookout or a barbecue, ButcherBox can help you make it the best. If you want to serve up some hamburgers, ButcherBox has grass-fed ground beef to make the perfect smash burger. Want to cook up some steaks? Well, ButcherBox has that too, with some of the best cuts of steaks such as New York Strip, ribeye, and filet mignon. Do you like grilled chicken? Well, ButcherBox has some of the best pasture-raised chicken that you will find anywhere. And if you really want to wow people at your next cookout, you can try grilling some of their wild-caught salmon on a cedar plank. Sign up at ButcherBox.com daily and get a special deal. ButcherBox is offering my listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at ButcherBox.com daily and use code daily to choose your free-for-a-year offer, plus get $20 off your first order. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is part four in a series on the international monetary system. If you haven't yet listened, you can go back and listen to the first three episodes, which were the history of money, the gold standard, and the Bretton Woods system. When we last left our international monetary system, Richard Nixon had ended the Bretton Woods system in 1971 by ending the convertibility of dollars for gold. The entire Bretton Woods system was built on everyone pegging their currency to the U.S. dollar, and the U.S. dollar being pegged to gold at $35 an ounce. The reason why Nixon did this was that the U.S. dollar had become overvalued and the United States didn't have enough gold reserves to cover the dollars that were in circulation. Here, I want to take a brief detour to talk about the economics of one currency being the global reserve currency. The problem with this was identified as early as 1959 by the Yale economist Robert Triffin. Triffin figured out that if one currency were to become the world's reserve currency like the U.S. dollar was after Bretton Woods, the system would eventually implode. Whatever the reserve currency was would be in demand all over the world. Countries would need to have the reserve currency, and the country whose currency was used would have to supply tremendous amounts of it to everyone else. The only realistic way to do that would be by consistently running trade deficits. Dollars would have to find a way to get out to the rest of the world. Also, as the reserve currency, it would have to be overvalued, making goods from the issuing company relatively more expensive. In the case of the United States in the 1960s, the dollar became overvalued relative to other currencies. Still, all of the pegs were in place, 
So the outlet for this overvaluation was countries exchanging their dollars for gold because gold became a relative deal. Holding the world's reserve currency is a very mixed bag. This is known as the Triffin Dilemma or the Reserve Currency Paradox. On the one hand, selling currencies to other countries basically costs nothing. The United States can produce an almost infinite number of dollars at no cost. And remember that most dollars are electronic, not physical paper currency. On the other hand, by overvaluing your currency, you make everything you produce relatively more expensive to the rest of the world. Up until the end of Bretton Woods in 1971, the United States wasn't running serious trade deficits, mostly because of the gold peg. They were exporting gold and dollars. Once Nixon had ended this, however, everything changed. The world went from a very managed orderly system of money to one with no central order. This became known as a managed float. National currencies can float in value on an open market, but individual central banks can still take steps to protect their currency, hence a managed float. Once Nixon closed the gold window, there was no longer any need for countries to hold large amounts of U.S. dollars. This resulted in a new agreement in December of 1971 known as the Smithsonian Agreement. The Smithsonian Agreement pledged the G10 group of industrialized nations to peg their currency to the U.S. dollar again, and the dollar would now be converted at $38 per ounce. This new agreement lasted about 14 months, when the open market price of gold diverged from the dollar convertibility rate, and in February 1973, all the currencies went back to floating again. The United States, however, still wanted to have a strong dollar, and they still wanted everyone to have to use its currency. The problem was, if they couldn't use currency pegs and gold convertibility to make that happen, how would they do it? In 1973, the dollar was sinking in value, coming down from its overvaluation. And there were also several other really big things happening in 1973. In October of that year, several Arab countries invaded Israel in what is now known as the 1973 War, the Yom Kippur War, or the Fourth Arab-Israeli War. The United States supported Israel via arms sales, and in response, the Arab members of OPEC, the Organization of Oil Exporting States, issued an oil embargo against the United States and other Western countries. This caused the price of oil to skyrocket, and long lines for gasoline began appearing everywhere. The U.S. National Security Advisor, Henry Kissinger, saw a way out of this mess. With a single stroke, it might be possible to end the oil embargo and return the U.S. dollar to its place at the center of the world monetary system. Kissinger and the new U.S. Treasury Secretary, William Simon, began working on a plan whereby the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia would agree to price all of its oil sales in U.S. dollars. In July of 1974, Simon went on what was called an economic goodwill tour. However, unbeknownst to anyone else, the real purpose of the trip was actually what was scheduled on a four-day layover in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. There, Simon and the Saudi King Faisal came to an agreement that has been one of the most defining moments of the last 50 years. King Faisal agreed to price all oil sales in U.S. dollars, and then agreed to invest much of their dollar surplus into U.S. Treasury bonds. In exchange, the United States agreed to buy Saudi oil in dollars, to sell weapons to Saudi Arabia in dollars, and also agreed to use the U.S. military to protect Saudi Arabia and keep the House of Saud in power. This was a great deal for Saudi Arabia. They had their security insured, and it didn't have to cost them a dime. They were able to price their primary export in a high-priced stable currency and invest their proceeds in a stable and safe way. 
This agreement turned out to be one of the most important international agreements of the latter half of the 20th century, and no one knew about it for over 40 years. The agreement was kept secret until 2016 when the story was broken by Bloomberg News, which filed Freedom of Information Act requests to break the story. Neither side had any incentive for the story to go public, and it was basically kept a secret for the entire time. Within a year of their agreement, all OPEC members had agreed to price their oil in dollars, following the lead of the biggest oil producer, Saudi Arabia. Now, all of a sudden, everyone in the world needed U.S. dollars once again to buy and sell the world's most important commodity, oil. Oil-producing states needed to do something with their surplus of dollars, and U.S. Treasuries provided an easy way to absorb almost all of this money. Henry Kissinger dubbed it petrodollar recycling. For the most part, it's still in place today. Many people are confused by what petrodollars are. Petrodollars are just regular U.S. dollars used to buy and sell oil. They aren't a special or different currency from the U.S. dollar. This increased global demand for the U.S. dollar has also led to increased use of what are known as euro dollars. Euro dollars are also sort of a misnomer. A euro dollar is any bank account that is dominated in U.S. dollars overseas. It doesn't necessarily have to have anything to do with Europe. As far as establishing demand for U.S. dollars, the petrodollar system has worked far better than the Bretton Woods system actually did. Today, 90% of all foreign exchange trades involve the U.S. dollar. 60% of all foreign exchange reserves are in U.S. dollars, as is 40% of all global debt. There are certainly benefits to having a reserve currency. One of the biggest exports of the United States over the last 50 years has been dollars. It isn't something people usually consider an export, but it actually is. However, as I mentioned before, having the reserve currency is a double-edged sword. The predictions of Robert Triffin have pretty much come true. What was the last year that the United States had a trade surplus? 1975, the same year that all the OPEC countries came on board and started pricing oil in dollars. The petrodollar system has survived since the mid-1970s, but there have been constant attempts over the years by oil producers to skirt the system. Iraq, Libya, Venezuela, and other countries at various times have threatened to stop pricing oil in dollars. Talk of ending the petrodollar system has accelerated in the last few months. The problem is, there really isn't a viable replacement. The Chinese yuan is often floated as being a replacement. However, it isn't necessarily something that China wants. The Chinese yuan has been one of the world's most managed currencies over the last several decades, so it would remain undervalued to encourage Chinese exports. If the yuan became the world's reserve currency, the reserve currency paradox could undo their entire export-based economy. One possible replacement for the petrodollar system would be to create a single currency for the whole world, which would benefit no one country, and in particular, a currency that wasn't controlled by any one country. In my fifth and final episode in this series on international monetary policy, I'll be exploring one possible future for money, how it was developed, and how it works. Bitcoin. Everything Everywhere Daily is an airwave media podcast. The executive producer is Darcy Adams. The associate producers are Thor Thompson and Peter Bennett. Today's review comes from listener Jake over on Instagram. He writes, Hey Gary, I just wanted to say thank you for the podcast. I've listened to every single episode and they are great. They keep me entertained every morning on my drive into work and I look forward to them every day. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Jake. Congratulations on your membership to the Completion Club. You will find the keys to the clubhouse in your locker. Just make sure to lock everything up when you're done. 
Remember, if you leave a review or send me a boostagram, you too can have it read right on the show.